0: Well, thank you for joining us this morning. Let's open up with a word of prayer today as we dive into God's word. We are so thankful that you have given us your revelation in this book. So God, every time we open it, I pray that you would give us a heart of thanksgiving and gratefulness that you have chosen to reveal yourself through these sacred words in this book, and as we continue to study the subject of Biblical worship, you would teach us about what it means to worship you in spirit and in truth. So guard our hearts during this time, give us focus. God, there are so many distractions that can prevent us from fully devoting our minds and our hearts to you. So bind those distractions from us during this time. And We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn them to Deuteronomy chapter 10. And while you're turning there, I'm going to leave the sermon alone for a moment because I want to give you a public service announcement regarding COVID 19. We were contacted at the end of this week by Dothan Pediatric Clinics that they are looking for help in identifying senior adults age 75 or older that still need the vaccination. And so we as a church, beginning tomorrow morning from 9 to 12 and 1 to 4, if you watching at home or somebody you know who is 75 or older and still needs access to the vaccine or has not been scheduled to get the vaccine, we are taking sign-up slots, and those will be administered on February 1st. So that's a Monday. So next Monday... There will be 125 slots that the church is going to try to fill. Whether they be church members or not, we're going to try to help the clinic administer the vaccine. And so on February 1st, we have 125 slots available for those that need to get the vaccine. Those will be distributed at the farm center. But we're letting you know now So whether you that are watching at home or friends, neighbors, family members that you know that need the vaccine, you can come by the church office beginning tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. from 9 to 12 or 1 to 4, and we'll continue to have those slots open until they are filled. Now, here's the tricky part. If you're watching on our television broadcast, it is tape delayed, which means what you are hearing has probably already been full. So this is only appropriate for those really that are watching on our live stream because our television broadcast is one week behind. So just keep that in mind and please call us, come by the church office. We'll be at Troy Street tomorrow to uh, sign up people who would like to get the vaccine beginning at ages 75 or older. So that was a lot for me to remember. I can't believe it all came out right. But here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Beginning in verse 12, let me set up the context for you. If you're just joining us for the first time, throughout the month of January, we are doing a sermon series called For the Glory of God, and our topic is returning back to what the scriptures teach about the concept of worship. So not what my opinion is about worship, not what your opinion is about worship, but about what God's word teaches about this concept of worship. So we started a few weeks ago and we looked at who we worship. And then in the second week, we looked at why we worship. And then last week, we looked at corporate worship, which basically means the worship service when we gather together in this room. And today, we're gonna address the subject of personal worship. That is, what do you do in your time alone with the Lord? Now, there's a couple of problems with this concept of personal worship, and it relates to what we talked about last week in corporate worship. There are a lot of people that view the worship service on Sunday morning as the primary means by which they are filled with the Spirit and by which they come to know God and His Word better, but that's actually not the way that it was intended to be. Personal worship is supposed to be where you are day in and day out spending time in the word of God, being filled with the spirit. And so when we gather together on Sunday morning, that is simply an overflow of what God has done in your life throughout the week. But if you are relying solely on the Sunday morning experience as your only time with God, then this causes a couple of problems. The first problem is, you're really robbing yourself of the daily joys of abiding in Christ, day in and day out, spending time with him in his word and in prayer and in meditation. But number two, if the corporate gathering is the only time you're worshiping, the corporate gathering can very easily become a ritual to perform rather than pursuing a relationship with God. And so if we're not careful, if we don't spend the daily time in personal worship with God, the service on Sunday can suddenly become a checklist that we just come and we check it off and we have done our religious duty until the next week. But personal worship is supposed to come alongside of corporate worship and be a part of your regular rhythm of your relationship with God, And so, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, what we have happening is Moses has received the tablets of stone for a second time. Remember, he smashed and broke the first ones. And he goes back and he gets the commandments once again, and he reads them out to the people. So, we're going to begin this morning in Deuteronomy 10, chapter 12. Excuse me. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. And now Israel... What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Now, I want to clarify a few things at the outset. This sermon is not a how-to have a personal worship time. There have been a number of excellent books written on how do you organize and plan your daily time with the Lord. I want to recommend two to you before we get started. The first one is The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. He's a Quaker, and it's an excellent book, and it outlines all of the different spiritual disciplines that you should focus on. There's another one called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life and that is by Donald Whitney. So those are just two of literally hundreds of books that can kind of steer you in the right direction if you don't already have a personal time of worship with the Lord. But this sermon is not a how-to do that. This is more about the attitudes and the actions that we should have when we approach our personal worship time with God. And so it's very simple. You can hold up your hand and you can remember all of these points very easily. And they come directly from the text. Fear God. Walk in his ways. Love God. Serve God. And keep the commandments. And we're going to go over each aspect of that. Number one, fear God. What does it mean in the Bible when it talks about fearing God. Specifically in the context of this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 10, what does it mean to fear God? It doesn't mean fear in the sense that we are to crouch in horror about who God is. In Deuteronomy, the fear of God means a trusting awe of who God is. A reverential respect or awe for what God has done on our behalf now why do we start our personal time of worship with an attitude of fearing God because if you don't fear God then why would you worship God if you don't have a trusting awe in who God is why would you worship him and so when we think about fearing God in the context of Deuteronomy 10 We need to think back about all of the ways that God had provided for the Israelites up to this point in the biblical narrative. What would give the Israelites trusting awe in who God is at this point? So let's go all the way back to Genesis. First and foremost, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. So that, to me alone, makes him worthy of worship and trusting awe. But if we just keep going on from there, he pulls aside Abraham and he tells him, I'm going to use you and your family to bless the nations. And at the age of 100, yes, you heard me, 100, God blesses Abraham and his wife Sarah, who is 90, with a son. And that son goes on to be the seed through which all of the nations will be blessed. And so as we keep moving through the biblical narrative, eventually Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. One of those sons is Joseph. And Joseph is sold off into slavery in Egypt by his brothers, but eventually his brothers come to him, and they need him for food. And the story goes, eventually the Israelites make their way into Egypt, And they are taken care of by this pharaoh. But eventually that pharaoh passes away and another pharaoh comes who treats the Israelites unfairly and he enslaves them. And so God raises up Moses to deliver his people from Egyptian slavery. And so they are taken out of Egypt and they're walking to the sea known as the Red Sea and in that moment God parts the waters of the sea the Israelites walk safely across on dry land and as the as the Egyptians try to catch up to them the waters come crashing down upon the Egyptians these are just a few of the miraculous things that we have seen God do in the lives of the Israelites they go on to wander through the wilderness And in that moment, God provides manna and he provides quail for them. And so they have a right at this point to fear God, to have a trusting awe in who God says that he is because he has provided for their needs. Now, when it comes to our personal worship, it would behoove us to reflect all of the ways that God has provided for us all of the ways that God has provided for our families. So reflect on all of the ways throughout your life that you have a right to now have trusting awe in who it is God says that he is. So Proverbs 1-7 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So as we approach our personal worship time with the Lord, one of the attitudes that we need to have is a healthy and trusting awe and fear of God. Number two, walk in his ways. Now it is our desire as worshipers of God to imitate him to the best of our ability. Now we can never be God We will never even be remotely close to God or Jesus in the flesh, but over and over again, especially in the New Testament, we are commanded to follow Jesus. In fact, my favorite term when talking with people about what I believe is actually to identify myself as a follower of Jesus because that's what we are. We are to imitate him. We are to follow him day by day. The term Christian means little Christ. So we are to walk in his ways. And so much of the gospel's teaching and so much of Paul's teaching is in the New Testament focuses on following after Jesus, walking in his ways. Now here's how Jesus accomplished this in the four gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He selects 12 men And he simply asks those 12 men to come and follow him. There's a passage of scripture that's been put to song that my family has memorized. Our children have memorized it. It's Matthew 4, 16 through 20. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. But the song basically explains this fact. As Jesus was walking beside the sea, the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting their nets into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. The initial charge... To Simon Peter and Andrew was to come and follow Jesus. And what's so striking about that account in Matthew chapter 4 is Matthew uses the word immediately. Some translations say at once. In other words, Simon Peter and Andrew were perfectly content being fishermen. They were making a living. Jesus says, come and follow me. And at once they dropped their nets and they followed after Jesus. And so what we see in the gospels as Jesus pours in to these 12 men is that they come with him. They follow him from town to town. They observe him casting out demons, healing the blind, preaching, doing all of these things. Their sole purpose in following after Jesus was so that they could learn how to imitate him. A part of worship is walking in the ways of Jesus. Now, this is really cool in my time this week reading. If you go back to Genesis chapter 33, there's this great story about Jacob and his family going to approach his brother Esau after many, many years apart. Now, remember how Esau and Jacob split Jacob steals the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. And as soon as he steals that blessing, his mother sends him away to go work for his uncle. And many, many years later, Jacob and Esau are about to meet again. And Jacob is fearful. He brings all of his children, he brings his wives with him, and he is just nervous as all get out about what's going to happen to him when he sees Esau for the first time in many, many years. And the story tells us that when they meet, Esau embraces Jacob. But the most interesting part of that text in Genesis 33 is that Moses tells us that Joseph was there with Rachel observing Esau embracing his father, even though his father had betrayed Esau many, many years earlier. So if you fast forward in the text to Genesis 45, at this point, Joseph is second in command in all of Egypt. And his brothers, who do not know him yet, do not realize that it's Joseph, come and ask him for food, and eventually Joseph gives them food, and then he reveals himself to his brothers, and he embraces them. He loves them. Now, as I was reading through in my personal time with the Lord, I went back to Genesis 33, and I picked up on that phrase that Joseph was there watching his uncle Esau embrace his father Jacob. And it struck me when I got into Genesis 45 that it's very possible that Joseph learned to forgive and embrace his brothers that had wronged him because his uncle Esau had modeled it for him many, many years earlier. In the same way that Joseph imitated his uncle, we are to imitate Jesus. Jesus spent personal time with his father every single day in prayer in meditation now he did it early in the morning I'm not going to be so legalistic as to say you have to wake up at 5 a.m. and do it the exact way that Jesus did it but Jesus does in fact model for you and me personal worship God in the flesh still spent time with his father And so Jesus gives us example after example in the gospels of him leaving the crowds, leaving his disciples, and spending time in prayer and meditation with his Father. Therefore, that should be an important element of our personal worship as well. So we fear God, we walk in his ways, and then number three, we love God. Notice the middle finger. The center finger of the hand is love. Love has to be at the center of everything that we do. We walk in his ways because we love him. We fear God. We have a trusting awe in who he is because we love him. And this takes us back to Deuteronomy chapter six. Earlier when Moses says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul and with all your might. There is no motivation for personal worship if we do not have a love for who God is. Why would you want to fear God and walk in His ways if you don't love Him in your heart, in your mind, and with all your might? Jesus confirms what Moses is teaching here. In Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Personal worship has to have at the center of it a love for God. And that love doesn't just pertain to him, it also pertains to his creation. Our family members, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, and here's the hardest one, our enemies. Jesus does not stop short of explaining to us that we are also to love our enemies. Without question, that is the most challenging aspect of following after Jesus is loving those that we really don't care for, that we really disagree with. But you know what I found? When those people come into my life that irritate me, that anger me, maybe that I even have a strong dislike for, when I pray for them, God can't help but change my heart towards that person. And that's exactly why Jesus says, pray for your enemies pray for those who persecute you because when you go to God and you pray for those that have wronged you and you pray for those that have persecuted you or you pray for those that you don't like, the spirit changes our heart towards those individuals. Now, it's not always a sudden change. Sometimes we have to pray that prayer for days and weeks and months and even years before we are fully transformed by the Spirit to love that individual that has wronged us. But if we're gonna follow after Jesus, we have to love God. And part of loving God is loving his creation. Every single person that he has created, whether we agree with them, whether we don't agree with them, that's challenging, but it's what God calls us to do. Listen to this quote from a book by James K.A. Smith that's called, You Are What You Love. Here's the quote. Our orienting loves are kind of like gravity, carrying us in the direction to which they are weighted. If our loves are absorbed with material things, then our love is a weight that drags us downward to inferior things. But when our loves are animated by the renewing fire of the Spirit, then our weight tends upward. So, in other words, the more we love God, the more we love the things of God which means we will love people more and we will be motivated to share the good news of Jesus's death on the cross with them. The more we love God, the less we love the things of this world, the material things that tend to distract us and weigh us down and oftentimes become our primary loves. The more we love God, the more those things become secondary and the things of God become more important. So an aspect of our personal worship at the center, it has to have love for God himself and a love for the people that he created. Number four, serving God. Now, how do we serve God? We're not talking about service in the way that most people define service today. So in other words, when we serve God, we're not really attending to his needs. He doesn't need us. I'm not bringing God cookies and milk as he sits on his throne. When we talk about serving God, we're talking more about obedience and submission to who he is. We are not serving him in the sense of giving him something, but rather submitting to who he is. You are serving God at your fullest capacity when you are obeying him and doing what he has commanded you to do. Service, in this sense, carries with it the idea of submission. Now notice how I put service here on the ring finger. And if you are married, you will know that the ring that you bought your spouse goes on this finger as a commitment to your spouse that you will submit to their needs and that you will serve them to the best of your ability to have a deep commitment to him or her. You serve your spouse though because of the love that you have for your spouse. Have you ever served before without a proper love for what you were doing? So in other words, have you ever served in your life in any way, shape, or form out of obligation rather than out of love? I have many times. There have been many times that I have performed service projects or been involved in ministries out of obligation rather than out of a true love for what I'm doing. And let me tell you, the times that I have served and love has been absent, it is almost always a miserable experience. You get easily irritated. You get frustrated because you don't really want to be there. And you don't really love the cause that you are a part of. So in order to serve God the way that he desires for us to serve him. Love has to be present. Because if we don't have love, we're simply serving out of obligation. We're simply serving to check off a box. And that does not have the same effect as serving out of love. So, to obey his teaching, to serve his creation, both humanity and the planet that he has given us to steward well, We have to serve with love. Our personal worship should involve service. And then number five, another aspect of our personal worship is to keep the commandments. You and me will be most satisfied in our relationship with God when we do what God desires for us to do. And that is, simply put, to keep his commandments. Now, there is a major misconception about what it means in our day to follow the law or to keep commandments. Many people in our culture and around the world today view keeping commandments as weighing them down, as restricting their freedom. The reason God has given us his commandments in the Bible is not to weigh us down, is not to make our lives miserable, but it's because he knows more than we know. And he knows the best way to have a fulfilling and joyous life on this planet is to keep the commandments the way that God designed them to be. I often use the illustration, you've heard me say it before, about the fish that's in a goldfish bowl. Is the fish most free inside of the bowl or outside of the bowl? Well, let's break that down. If the fish is inside the bowl, he can breathe and he can function the way that he is designed to function. Even though he might be enclosed in a tank, He is more free being inside the tank than he would be outside of the tank. Because if you take that fish out of its natural element and you just let him wander the face of the earth, he will last about two or three minutes and then he will no longer be free. Freedom is not the absence of restrictions. It's finding the right restrictions, the restrictions that God has put in place. So for you and me, to be most free is not to ignore the laws and the commandments of God. It is to keep those laws and those commandments. It is to be obedient to those because that is the way God designed us to live this life. You will be most fulfilled. You will be most joyous in your relationship with God when you do, in fact, keep the commandments. Now, listen to this quote from the book that I've been referencing throughout this whole series called For the Glory of God. In Moses' view, attitude and action are interrelated. Without fear and without love, walking Serving and keeping all of the commandments become legalistic efforts at gaining the favor of God. Conversely, without walking, serving, and keeping the commandments, fear and love are useless and dead. These attitudes and these actions that we are talking about this morning are designed to go together. Fearing God and loving God mean nothing if you are not walking with God, keeping his commandments, and serving God. Loving, walking, and serving God mean nothing if your heart is not in the right place, fearing God the way that you're supposed to, and loving God the way that you are supposed to. Externally, you can do all of the right things, and internally, you can be doing all of the wrong things. So what Moses is teaching us in this passage is that the attitude that we bring to our worship and the actions that we bring to our worship have to come together. Complete personal worship is comprised of both the right attitudes and the right actions. Every single follower of Jesus drifts towards one of these two extremes, you either drift more towards the grace of God or you drift more towards the commandments of God. Now if you drift more towards the commandments of God, you're more prone to be legalistic. You're more prone to view the corporate worship service on Sunday or your personal time with the Lord as a checkbox. Just something that you do, something you perform in order to make you feel good about yourself. That's if you drift more towards the law. If you drift more towards the grace of God, then the problem with that is become you, be, you become too lenient towards the commandments of God. You don't care enough about actually keeping the commandments of God because in your mind, God is a God of grace. Here's the reality. Yes, God is a God of grace, and he's also a God of truth, and he cares about his commandments. And so what I have to do every single day is pray that God would keep my heart soft to both extremes. I want to care about the law of God, but not at the expense of writing anybody off who can't live up to the standard of God's commands because none of us can do it. But I also don't wanna fall so much on the grace side that I'm not really ever concerned about doing what the Bible teaches because I view God as a God of grace. So we have to pray and ask God to keep us in the middle of those two extremes. We have to ask God through his spirit to make us equally aware of the truth of God's word and his laws and his commandments but also the truth of his character. That is that he is a gracious God and a loving God and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The God of the Bible is a God of both law and grace, truth and grace, commandments and grace. To dismiss one aspect of God's character is to dwindle who God really is. God cares about our behavior. God cares about our character. God cares about us trying to obey the laws that he has given us. But at the same time, God is also a God of grace. And he knows that we are incapable of keeping those commandments perfectly. We are incapable of doing it. And because God knows that is precisely why he sent Jesus to earth. To live as a human being The commandments to the fullest extent that you and me could not do. And Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sin. He died the death that you and me deserve. And he did that precisely because he kept the commandments of God perfectly. But on the cross, we also see overwhelmingly the grace and the mercy of who God is. So it's my prayer as we have examined these five aspects of personal worship, fearing God, walking in his ways, loving God, serving God, and keeping his commandments, that you will walk away today understanding a couple of things. Number one, you'll never be able to do all five of these things perfectly. And I hope instead of that being a discouragement to you, that's a relief for you. That is exactly why the Spirit has to come and reside in your heart. You are incapable of doing those five things perfectly. That's why you and me need Jesus. That's why Jesus died for us. Because he knew the only way that you and me could have access to God the Father is through his substitutionary sacrificial death on the cross. So there are many people, I'm afraid, that are watching today that are discouraged because they've never had a personal worship time with God. They've never made that a priority in their life. And I don't want you to leave on the judgment side today. I want you to leave on the grace side, that God loves you. And if that is not a habit that you have implemented in your life yet, today is a new day. Tomorrow is a new day. Begin the habit of trying to develop a personal worship time with God, keeping those five elements that we have discussed this morning at the forefront of your mind and heart. And you will have moments in your personal worship where God is moving in your life tremendously. And you will have other times in your life where you feel like you're doing everything right and you feel dry and you feel like God is not moving in your midst. And this is where I challenge you to be persistent, to stay daily abiding in God and in this time of personal worship. I also realized today that there might be some people here who have no idea what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They maybe have heard that phrase their whole life, but they've never really grasped what it means. There's gonna be an opportunity today at the end of our service, if you would like to reach out to me or someone on our staff to learn about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to trust in the finished work that he performed on the cross for you. We would love to have a conversation with you about how you could become a follower of Jesus. It's the most important decision that you could ever make. And so as we conclude our time today, let's think hard about how much better our corporate worship gathering could be if we devoted the time that we need in our personal worship. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this passage that Moses gives us very clearly laid out all of the attitudes and the actions that we should try to aspire to have when we come before you in our time of personal worship. God, we want to daily abide in you. God, I pray for anyone watching today that struggles with a daily time of personal worship. I pray that you would give them perseverance. I pray that you would give them a plan, a structure, so that they can begin that daily time with you that we also desperately need, but I also pray for those who have never followed after you who don't know what it means to take up their cross and follow you who don't understand what Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross means for them in their hearts and in their minds. And I pray that there, if, if there is anyone watching or listening today who is convicted by your spirit about wanting to know more about how to follow after you, that they would get in touch with us so that we could sit down and share the beauty of the gospel message with them. And God, as we get ready to sing, prepare our hearts for the work that you are going to continue to do in our church, in our community, in our country, and around the world. We ask all these things in Christ's name, amen.